And then between the the 6th and the 7th, there's this break. So we see this pattern happen over again um, with the the seals, the the trumpets, and then we'll have the bowls later on um, a few more chapters down. And there there are seven things, seven judgments, seven things that happen. And in there, there's there's a four and there's a three. So as we look at at this, we're going to um, skip the interlude today. And we'll come back and pick that up next week. But let's talk about trumpets for a minute. Um, trumpets in the Old Testament, they, they symbolize various things. So one would be an alert or an alarm, um, a warning sign that they would blow to, to gather people. They would blow the trumpets as they would pick up the tabernacle to go. It's time for us to leave. Um, they would signal a warning, um, judgment, victory. Um, or maybe an eschatological judgment or an end-time judgment, which is what we're looking at today. But um, as, as we come in, in our passage today, it's judgment. These trumpets represent judgment. There is judgment coming on the earth. And judgment's not a popular topic. I mean, if, if you come in in our culture today, um, you know, one of the things, if, if you say something, people say, hey, don't judge me. You hear that? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. That's the worst thing you could do is to judge me, to, to even consider that I might be wrong or that something's out of whack or something needs to, to come in. So it's, it's not a popular subject in our culture today, but it's universally embraced. I mean, from an early age, is something that we embrace. We embrace judgment. As a matter of fact, we want judgment. We expect it. We expect there to be right and wrong. We expect um, evil to be punished. We are angry at injustice. When crimes are committed, we want guilty people to pay, right? When somebody does something evil and wicked, we want them to get what the just penalty for that whatever it, it is. So um, if, if you come in, you know, when the other team violates the rules, we want a penalty called. If you watched basketball this weekend, if your guy was fouled, you screamed at the TV. Why did they let him do that? They mugged him. They should have called a foul. Good grief. The guy's on the floor. Where's the ref? That's judging. Very judging. You're judging the ref? You're judging the player. You're judging the opponent. You're judging everybody on the screen. Why? Because judgment's not a bad thing. It's not. We want to see things right. We don't want to deal with the consequences of our own transgressions, but we want others to pay for theirs. And that's where this judging thing comes in. And, and as we roll out these trumpets, what we're going to see is, is God is going to judge sin. He is going to judge those who refuse his grace and mercy. He's going to judge those within the church who are 
walking away from him, and he's going to get their attention to bring them back, as we saw in the seven churches, in those, those seven letters to the seven churches. So the first thing I want us to look at here, and, and there's a whole lot of, uh, of scripture here, but, but the first five, uh, God is holy and just. The first thing is that God is holy and just. When we talk about judgment, it's because God is holy and God is just. He is righteous. He must punish sin. A holy God cannot tolerate evil. So the first five seals were trials that believers would go through as as we looked at the last couple of weeks. And the first six trumpets, as we come in here today, are punishments directed at unbelievers. And these are unbelievers outside of the church, as well as those who may attend a church, but they're not followers of Jesus. They, they may be coming in, they may be blending in, but God is saying it's time to wake up. So the first five trumpets are patterned after the plagues of Egypt, uh, the plagues on Egypt in Exodus chapters 9 and 10. So it, it comes in, it says, the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. The third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night." And then I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die but death will flee from him. So as we come in, these, these first five seals, they're things that, that are going to affect everybody, uh, are these, um, these first five trumpets. They're, they're patterned after the plague. So the first trumpet, not the seals, but the trumpets. I keep seals. And, and when we get to the bowls, I'm going to be all messed up because I'm going to have three different things to talk about. But, um, but when we come in, the first trumpet, hail, fire, and blood, that corresponds to the plague of hail and fire in Exodus 9, to 25. So as you come in, as we come on these plagues, basically, you can go back to Exodus when, when the plagues were thrown on the Egyptians, these plagues that Moses came and, and did. Um, we did it a couple of years ago. We went through the 10, uh, the ten plagues. But um, as, as you come into each of these, you're going to find something that corresponds here with these trumpets, with these plagues 
going back. Um, and then the second and third, the poisoning of the sea and the waters to the plague on the Nile. If you remember, the Nile was considered a god. It was the lifeblood of Egypt. It's the thing that everybody looked to. Um, it would flood. It would provide foods and crops, and the people worshipped it as, as a god there in Egypt. And then there was darkness. Um, the, fourth, the fourth trumpet is darkness to the plague of darkness in Exodus chapter 10, where everything went dark in the land of Egypt. And, and then the fifth the locusts is, is the plague of locusts that came in and, and ate everything in the land. So with the, as with the Egyptian plagues, the plagues punished the hardness of heart and idolatry. And, and since each plague, if we go back and you, and you look at these plagues, which we don't have time to really do all that today. But if you go back into Exodus and you look at the plagues, that, that God brought on the Egyptians, every single one of those plagues was directed at a false god that they worshipped. And as we come in today, it's, um, it, it's um, these trumpets are directed towards that, and they're directed to the persecution um, of God's people. God is going to judge for this. So as God's people suffered, they also prayed if, if you go back into earlier parts, he, he, they prayed that God would bring justice to the people who were persecuting them. If you remember the martyrs uh, up under the altar at the sixth seal, they prayed, God, how long? How long? How long will it be? How long till you judge this? How long till you bring justice? How long till you make things right? And so <clears throat> this is the answer. When you come in in the trumpets, the trumpets is the answer to the prayers of the martyrs. Judgment is coming and judgment is good news. And the reason judgment's good news is because God cares. God cares. If we lived in a world where God never judged sin, what, it, what that would say to us is God really doesn't care. God does not care how we act. God does not care how we live. God does not care what happens to us. It would be like with our children. If we never corrected our children, if we never called them out, that would be simply saying, I don't care. I just, just, just leave me alone. I don't want to have to deal with it. I don't want to work with you. I don't have time. If that's the way you want to be, be that way, whatever. No, we come in and we say, this is not right. It's not acceptable. It will not be tolerated under my roof. This is the way we live. That is not the way we live, and there will be consequences for that. We'll come in, and, and we start with whatever that might be. So judgment is good news because it means that God cares. And one aspect of this is that in the trumpets, the saints are protected. The Israelites were protected from the plagues that came on the Egyptians. The, uh, the Israelites did not suffer through all of those plagues that God brought on the Egyptians. Some of them, you know, they experienced just like everybody else, but it didn't affect them harshly. But as the heat dialed up, the plagues became destructive. And when they became destructive, they were not destructive on the people of Israel, but they were on the people of Egypt. In Exodus 3, 7 through 9, it said, Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. 
I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. The plagues, they're a direct response from God to his people crying out to him. So as the people of Israel cried out to God, they cried under the burden of their taskmasters. They cried out to God. God came, and as he came, he judged. He was not going to allow their suffering to continue indefinitely, and the plagues, that's how he deals with it. This is what he does. There were calamities that affected the Egyptians that were directly aimed at their false gods. The trumpets are calamities that affect their food supplies, their economic activity, and they inflict physical punishment. So as you come in, you're going to see these things begin to take place. The seas and and the rivers are are shut down. That's commerce. That is uh, food that comes from those. There are things that happen that economically shut them down and cause all kinds of problems. A third of the waters become bitter. and so it, it means that, that God cares. Suffering and sacrifice will end for the saints as, as we come in. So if you remember coming back, when, when we see in the chapter four, we see the throne room of God, who's on the throne? God's on the throne. He's sovereign. He's over all things. And Jesus is standing right there with him, and he is a lamb who has been slain. He is the God who has redeemed us through suffering and sacrifice. And suffering and sacrifice um, are the ways of, of the cross, they're the ways of our faith, but they're going to end. And those who chase after false gods will see their false gods destroyed. So judgment means that God does punish sin, that, that it will happen. It means that he actively opposes it and he won't let it go. He is actively opposing sin today because a holy and just God punishes sin, but he also extends grace and mercy. And that's, that's the picture. That's what we've looked at here. So Revelation is this great book of hope. It's a great book of comfort to people who are suffering for their faith or people who are going through difficult um, things in life and they are being reminded by God that he is on the throne, he is sovereign, he sees them, he understands what's going on and he has a plan and he has a purpose. The seals show the, the plans and the purposes of God. The trumpets come in and show that God is dealing with what's going on. So God extends grace and mercy in the midst of judgment. This is what we see in, in these uh, scriptures here. We see that each of the trump, each of the judgments announced by the trumpets, they stop well short of total annihilation. If you come in, um, we see that um, when the fifth angel blows his trumpet, they're told not to harm the grass or any green plant or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. So the first thing we see is that, um, that, that there's food left, there are things left for the people of God to eat. Um, for five months, these people are, are tormented and they cry out and they want to die. And God says, no, it's not going to happen. 
It's not going to happen. Um, so we see a third of the earth burned up, a third of the sea, and the ships were destroyed. One third of the waters become bitter. One third of the light is darkened. Five months of torment, but not death. And one third of mankind died. And we think, that's, that's pretty significant. Two thirds didn't. Two thirds did not. That's grace and mercy. That's the grace and the mercy of God. The trumpet blasts were a warning. They're a warning to turn to God. They're a warning that God says, I will not tolerate this. I will not allow this to happen. Um, He is saying to leave your idols behind. And they would be heard. These trumpets, they were heard not just by the people outside of the church, but they were heard by the people inside of the church. Everybody hears this. When it's going on, everybody knows what is happening. And those who are cold in their faith would hear it. Those who were succumbing to idolatry and and turning away to other stuff than God, they would hear it and they would be um, just like the churches of Asia Minor. When we go to those seven churches in Asia Minor, remember five of the seven, five of the seven had issues. Serious issues, idolatry. And, and God was saying, you need to snap out of it. Come back. Be faithful. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, it says, Therefore the Lord wants to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Luke 18, 7, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Or Zechariah 12, 10, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So, <clears throat> As, as we see in here what, what, what Zechariah prophesied, he said, you know what? When people see the grace and the mercy of God, the, it will break them. And they will fall down before him and worship him and weep bitterly over their sin and over their brokenness and, and over the love and the, and the mercy of God. So one of the things that we overlook in the book of Revelation is the grace and the mercy of God. It, we overlook the fact that he, um, we, we see all of this, you know, explosive stuff out, you know, locusts and horses and, and, and dragons and beasts and eagles that speak and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And, and we think this is going to be this absolutely horrible, horrible thing. And I mean, in in some regards, yes. But on the other side, we also see grace and mercy being extended by God because God's desire is for us to know him. His desire is to draw us to him. His desire is for us to be restored, to be redeemed. Um, He could simply bring on judgment without warning or waiting for people to repent. Instead, here's what God's doing. He's sounding the trumpet. He's sounding the alarm. He's sounding the warning for the church and for people to repent. And he is bringing calamities that follow the warning 
to serve as an opportunity for people to return to him. He's giving them an opportunity. Not everybody's wiped out. Not everybody repents, but some do. And God is patient. He's merciful. He's kind. He's abounding in grace. And, and so as we look and we see these, these calamities, I got to move this pen. It's going to drive me crazy. It's a weird thing. Um, <clears throat> keep seeing it there. Um, It's out of place. Um, Anyway, you see all of these things happening and and the calamities that are natural calamities and and you see natural, what, what we would look at like plagues of locusts or the waters being destroyed or the sea having issues, or um, whatever may be coming on. These are natural disasters, natural calamities. And in those, God is, is moving. And we'll look at this a little bit more in, in a moment. But, but when we see calamities in our world today, what, what comes to our mind? When we see things happening in our world today, natural disasters, you see an earthquake that wipes hundreds or thousands of people out or you see a tsunami come in and and wash through what do we think do we see them as just a natural part of our world or do we see them as that something god allows in a broken creation so that we can be drawn to him. Um, I think one of the, maybe probably one of the greatest examples we've had in the last 20 or so years would be 9-11. 9-11, our country stopped. We stopped. It was like this, this huge wake-up thing. Shocking, absolutely Shocking. And churches filled up. I mean, people showed up. They came during the week. They showed up. They were there. And, and God bless America was at halftime. And God bless America was in the seventh inning stretch. And God bless America was on every God bless America thing. But it wasn't long until we were back to business as usual. Why? <clears throat> All of these things, everything that happens that, that we look at as bad, it's a result of a broken world. It goes back to Adam and Eve. Our broken world has broke the creation. And the scriptures tell us that the creation groans, waiting for redemption, waiting to be restored to what it was made to be. And all of these things that happen in there, they're wake-up calls. They're opportunities for us to turn to God. They're opportunities for us to share the message of Christ. They're opportunities for people to be saved. They're not just a part of our world. They're not just a part of life. They're wrong. It's wrong. That wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's purpose. 
So as we, we come in, and as you look at the trumpets, the trumpets were an opportunity for people to turn to God. They were an opportunity for those who had not been sealed, who had not come to know Christ. They were opportunities for them to turn to God. In all of the calamities and all of the things that were happening and everything that's going down, what God is screaming is, I am holy, I am just, and I am a God of grace and mercy. Come to me. So as, as we come in and look, one of the things that, that as we look in this passage, it's really imperative for us as a church, is that when things are going wrong in our world, rather than try to figure out our answer to it, it's go to the answer to it. And the answer is the lamb who was slain on the cross, who redeems and restores, who offers true hope, who offers a true future, who offers the path away from that and into where God has called and created us to be. Because difficulties can sharpen us. Difficulties can make us better. As we go through those times and we focus on the God who made us and created us in his image and desires and longs for us to, to worship him and to have a right relationship with him, it sharpens us. Um, that's why when we work out physically it's hard work I mean if, if you go work out and, 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 and there's no difficulty to it it's probably not doing you a whole lot of good right you know if you if uh, yeah, it's kind of like in PE class you know when, when, when you're in PE class and you're doing push ups and really your push ups kind of like this um, and because nobody's looking it's not doing you any good you gotta make it happen and if you're walking around the track instead of running around the track, you're not getting much. And when we live our lives in here, when we're going up against the hard stuff, God is sharpening us. He is making us better. He is drawing us closer to him. He's giving us a better understanding of who he is and what he wants to do because the hard times are a time for our faith to be refined. And this is what's happening. The church is being refined and people are being drawn to God. They are, they are being shown that they are not in control, that this is beyond their control, that everything is in the hands of God. And it's a time for us as the church to model our faith for other people to see what it produces in us. When people see us go through hard times and they see us turn to Christ, when they see us trust him, when they see us face the difficult things, it draws people to him. Sometimes the circumstances that we face bring us down to the bottom and, and they take us all the way down to the most difficult place we've ever been in our lives and we suffer through that and we go through that and that's real, that's a part of being human and, and we go through very, very difficult things. Every single one of us in here, we will go through difficult times. Some, some people right now, you're, on, you're at the peak of the game, you're at the top, life couldn't be better. And there are other people who come in here that, that they couldn't hurt any more possibly. But the message of hope that's found in the Bible is 
that God is with us on the mountaintop and he is with us in the depths of our pain and he will not let us stay there. He will take those hurts and he will use them to strengthen us, to make us stronger, to build us up, to walk us through it and to help us move to the next place that he wants us to be so that he can make us more and more and more like him. And it really leads us down to the thing in, in the fifth, see it when the fifth angel blows the trumpet, I keep wanting to call it a seal, it's a trumpet, It's not a seal, it's a trumpet. The seals were two weeks ago. It's a trumpet. And when he blows the horn, it says that he, it says that um, I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, Satan. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now notice this. He was given the key. He didn't take the key. He doesn't own the key. It was given to him. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and, and, and it goes on and on. We read this a while ago. But Satan is on a leash. He is on a leash. He's not running free on his own. He is on a leash. He is not the winner of the game. He is not in control of the game. He is not going to determine the final outcome of the game. He is not going to do anything except for try to destroy everything that he can. But ultimately, God is in control. And and that's what we see here. Satan's not doing whatever he wants. He can only do what he's allowed and God uses Satan to get the attention of unrepentant man. That, that's, that's all it is, pure and simple. If you go back and you read the book of Job, you know, Job is not, not the book that you want to go to if you want to be encouraged. <laughs> Maybe it is. Um, I, my, my goal is eventually to go through Job like we're going through Revelation. So, but, but that's a little bit down the road. But anyway, the thing about Job is if the thing that, that, that's just really, really crazy in there, it's like Satan, he's coming in and, and God says, hey, hey, what, what you doing here? Well, I'm, I'm just kind of going back and forth looking, you know, looking for someone to mess with. And, and God says, hey, why don't you check out Job? And I'm thinking, oh, you know, Job is a righteous man. He is doing all the right things. Everything, everything that you could ask of someone, Job is doing. And then all of a sudden, calamity comes his way. God uses Satan to get the attention of unrepentant man. It says that his name here is Apollyon or Abaddon, which means destroyer. Um, And he's bringing destruction. He's bringing destruction on man. And the interesting thing is, we did these first four trumpets, now these, these last three, and these last three, the destruction is only coming on unbelievers. There's a difference. He's differentiating. We, we see the stuff that's happening with the darkness and the rivers and the sea and everything that, that's going to affect the entire world. But now you're seeing these, <clears throat> these tormentors come. And these tormentors cannot touch those who have been sealed, the people of God. The 
the sixth trumpet will unleash the four evil angels from the east who were prepared for this exact moment when they were, they were released. So th- this goes back to chapter seven, verse one last week. And it says, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. So basically when we hit the fifth trumpet, it's on and it's not pretty. And, and it is a very, very difficult time. The destroyer, he's on the loose. The armies beyond the Euphrates, it says, um, <clears throat> we come here and, and we come on in here. It says, the first woe has passed and behold, two words are still to come. The sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard a uh, voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. It was an exact time, an exact time. The day, the month, the year, everything was according to the plan of God. The number of mounted troops was twice, 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number and they're coming from beyond the east or from the Euphrates. So for the Roman empire, the, the only place they feared was coming from the east. They feared that armies would come from the east and topple the empire, that they would come in and wipe them out. And, and John begins to say, here it is. This army is countless, and it brings unspeakable horror to the people. The people still, and, and what we find out here, it, it comes in, it says that they still, it says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and the idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. In other words, what, what, what it's saying here is regardless of how high the heat got, they refused to turn to God. They absolutely refused. And Their response is, is, you know, go, wow, can it get that bad? It's no different than it was hundreds of years before in the time of the prophet Jeremiah. Here's what Jeremiah said in chapter 5, verse 3. O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth. You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refused to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They've refused to repent. Jeremiah is looking at, at destruction of Israel around him and saying, look, we haven't turned to you. What's going on? Why, why is this? Um, and, and Satan, as we come out today, he's out causing destruction today, but he's not the final authority. He is not the final authority. He does not, he does not declare victory. He might cause devastation, but it's only according to what God has allowed him to do. And the only reason God allows it is to bring people to him, is to draw people to his grace and mercy and to save us from ultimate destruction. And that's what God wants to do in us and and through us. He wants to change us and draw us to him and use us to reach other people and to restore us to what he created us to be. It's really, really simple. This morning, I, uh, I was reading in Numbers, and I, you know, just full disclosure, when I get to Numbers, I was like, oh man, Numbers. I like Leviticus, I don't like Numbers. Most people say, Leviticus, are you serious? I love it. I mean, it's the holiness of God. 
But, um, <clears throat> I mean, Leviticus chapter 16 is the closest thing in the New Testament you'll ever find. Um, but, uh, but I'm in Numbers, and, and I'm reading the story of Moses, and, <clears throat> and, I, and I get caught up in the story. You know, honestly, when I read the, story, when I, when I read the narratives there in, in, in the Old Testament, I love it because I get caught in the story and I'm reading Moses and I know what's going to happen next because I've read it so many times. But this funny thing happens. The people are complaining and they're whining and they want water. They're thirsty and, and they're, they're, they're just like a bunch of little kids. They're saying, you know what? We left Egypt. It was so good. It's just so good. And, and now we're in this place and there are no pomegranates and there are no figs and there's no water and there's no good times and there's no Wi-Fi and my cell phone won't connect and I can't go to the movie theater because my parents won't let me and, and my boyfriend hasn't called or my wife hasn't done this or my husband hasn't done that and wah, 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 wah. And Moses... You know, Moses, the great guy in the story, right? He's the hero. He says, God, what, what now? And God says, look, just speak to the rock. Just speak to the rock. And there'll be water and everything will be all right. And I'm like, yeah. What is it like speaking to the rock? It's like... You know, I'm thinking, what does God have in mind anyway? And, and I'm kind of going here, and I'm thinking, is God going, uh, um, <clears throat> rock, give us water. You know, is that what speaking to the rock is? Or it's like, hey, throw out some water here. What is it? What does it look like? I have no idea because Moses blew it and ruined the story for me. <clears throat> and, and Moses goes to the rock and he strikes it twice and says, what do we have to do for you people, you rebellious bunch of fools, to make you shut up and move on? Suck it up. Whack! And there comes the water, and the water gushes out of the rock. And God says something very interesting to him. It's Exodus, uh, not Exodus, it's Numbers. Chapter 20, verse 9. He says, because you did not see me as holy in your sight, and you did not respect me before the people, and you did not obey me, you will no longer be the one to lead them into the promised land. I, look, I just have to be honest with you. At first, I'll get it. Go. That's not fair. That's not fair. I mean, Moses has gone through some of the most miserable stuff a man could endure. He has had a hard time. He has worked hard. He's done way, way, way way more than you know most of us would ever ever go through and it's like look he just had a bad day 
And I really got to thinking about that this morning. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know what? It's because a whole group of people forgot who they were. They forgot. They forgot their brokenness. They forgot their slavery. They forgot their bondage. They forgot how oppressed they were. They forgot how they had no no look for a future. And God showed up. And and when God showed up, God didn't just, just kind of slowly make things better. God absolutely brought their oppressors to their knees. He crushed them. He crushed every single one of their gods all the way to their god, Pharaoh, and destroyed his firstborn son who would ascend to the throne of Egypt and become God to the Egyptians. He was gone. You think about that. Basically, they were crushed. Crushed. And then he led them. He parted the Red Sea. And then when the the rest of the Egyptians decided to chase him down and bring him back, he wiped them all out. And then they woke up in the mornings and food was hanging on the trees. And he did, and he did, and he did, and he did. And they forgot. Because I I just looked at it and I said, you know what? This basically says to me a really simple thing this morning. Remember the great things of God. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember where God brought you from. Remember what it was like to be without hope and without Christ in the world. Look at how God has helped you through the difficult patches that you've gone through in this world. Don't forget. Don't forget. Trust Him in the present today and obey Him for the future. Obey Him for the future. And I thought, wow, this is, this is, <laughs> this is good. And I'm in numbers. And then I was in, in Luke chapter 1 and, and, you know, Matthew 1 and Luke 1, they, they go pretty, pretty quick through a lot of history and so forth. But in there, something stood out to me in there as well. In Zechariah, won the priestly lottery. Okay? I won the Alaska lottery this year. I got a goat tag on Cecil Rhodes Mountain. Like 2,000 people put in for three tags, and I'm one of the three. I'm special. And just, just to top it off, I got a moose tag as well. I mean, if you don't think that I felt favored by God that day, I got another thing coming. 
But I want to tell you something. What happened to Zechariah that day makes that look like nothing. Nothing. Zechariah got picked to go in and burn incense before God. You didn't get to do that. Your, your division would come through for one week, and it was probably once in a lifetime gig. And then to be the guy that drew the straw to go in, that was even bigger. And the interesting thing was, he had one shot. In his mind, he had one shot to throw down before God the most burning desire in his heart. And that was that Elizabeth, his wife, would have a baby. Because they were both old. And they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And you know, it never happened. It just never happened. In that day, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him that he was going to have a baby boy. And you're to name him John. And he wasn't just going to be any baby boy. He was going to be the last of the prophets. He was going to be the one who would prepare the way for the coming Messiah. He was going to be the cousin of Jesus. And I thought, what's one thing? What's one thing that we want more than anything? What's one thing that you want more than anything? What is it? If you had one shot, one thing that you could pray for, what would it be? It's like when I read that story in Luke, there's not even a question in his mind what's going to go down when he goes to light the fire. This is it. This is my last shot. It's the last chance I'll have. You see... Satan, he's out causing destruction today. But he's not in charge. He doesn't own you. He can't make you do anything. Because the lamb who was slain is on the throne, sovereign over all creation, and he will give you the power to win. You've already won. We've won. The moment you come to Jesus, you won. You won. And now, as we look at this picture and and, and everything that's happening with these trumpets and all these judgments and everything going down, why? 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 Because God wants to make himself known. And he wants broken, messed up, sinful people to turn to him and be made right. 
That's the heartbeat of God. That's the desire of God. That's what the story's about. That's why when we come in here, we see it all unfolding and happening. It's not that any of us are perfect. It's not that any of us have, have done all the right stuff. Look, Moses, Moses was one of the messed up, most messed up people on the planet. He's a murderer. He argued with God, tried and tried and tried. He did not want to do what God wanted him to do, argued with him. He took the 10 tablets that were written by the finger of God. This is the finger of God and broke them. I mean, I think that's way bigger than striking the rock. Obviously, I'm not God. But I'm just thinking, you know, if you want to look at something, he broke the 10 tablets. He broke the 10 commandments. He broke the two tablets and had to get a redo. But God came to restore broken man. And that's what he offers to us. So, I want to read to you something. Uh, Johnson, in his book on Revelation, he said, How then are we to respond to what has been opened up to us in Revelation 8 through 11? I can think of three ways. First, we need to repent of anything and everything contrary to God's will and way. We need to repent of our idolatry of anything we have put before obedience to Jesus Christ. Repent and keep repenting. I, I think he's dead, dead right. I need to repent of what's wrong in my life. You need to repent of what's wrong in your life. Our church needs to repent of what's wrong in its life. And we need to continually come to him to be right. Second, we need to intercede to plead for mercy for those who do not know the living God, O oh Lord, break through. I think that's absolutely right as well. I think that every single one of us should have people that we pray for every single day to come to know Christ. Look, every single one of us have people in our lives. We either have family members, close friends, neighbors, work associates, or, or people that we encounter somewhere else who don't know Christ. And they're without hope and they're without Christ. And they will spend eternity away from him. And if anything else, when we read of these plagues and these things in Revelation, I don't want this to happen to anyone. Look, the most, the most evil person on the planet that you can think of today, who throw, throw the name in there, to think that we would want them to be eternally tormented, Eternally, not just a little while, not just to death, but forever. That's hard, isn't it? Especially when we see that God rescued us from our brokenness and our evil and our sin. We need to be praying for people every single day. And third, we need to commit to prophesying. I'm not, I'm not getting weird here. To declare, this is what prophesying is, to declare, thus says the Lord in the circles where we live and work. British scholar and pastor Michael Wilcox summarizes the message best. He says, the seals showed the suffering church pleading for justice to be done, but the trumpets show the wicked world being offered mercy. 
The offer is not accepted, and the world will not, in fact, repent. But let it never be said that God has not done all in his power, even to the devastation of his own perfect earth, in order to bring men and women to their senses. Satan's not the winner. He's a loser. He's just making a last-ditch effort to take out as many people as possible. So as we come to a conclusion today, who do you pray for daily to be saved? Is there somebody that you pray for every single day? And if not, I want to challenge you to do that. Write their name down. Put it on a sheet of paper. Put it in your Bible where you read every day. Um, whatever it is that you need to do to remind yourself, but to pray for that person every single day. It might be a family member. It might be a friend. It might be someone you work with. Who have you taken time to share your faith with? Look, you, you may be scared. I don't know how to do that. Sure you do. Just tell your story. It's, it's not rocket science. It's simple. And if you need help, I'll be glad to help you. There are a lot of people here who would be glad to share with you how to do that. But it's really simple. Just saying, you know what? Here's where I was. This is what God did in my life. And he can do that in yours. Are you serving Jesus? Are you serving others? Are you serving other people so that they can see the beauty of Jesus lived out in your life? Doing things for other people so that they can see the beauty of Jesus lived out in your life. You see, Jesus, he's already won. And we need to live like winners, right? We need to live like winners. We're not losers. We are not losers. The church is not a loser. We have a God who is perfect, he is holy, he is just, he is above all, and he has promised that we will be with him. He has promised that he will be with us through the depths of the valley, through the most painful things that we ever go through. And look, there's a lot of people in this room who've gone through a whole lot of pain. Lots of pain. And they will tell you that they don't ever want to go through the pain again, but that God met them in the pain. And they're stronger. You know why? Because we're winners. We're winners. Satan's defeated. He can scream, kick, claw, fight, curse you cause you to doubt yourself, put things in your head that say, you know what, you're not good enough. Who are you to share your faith with someone else? I mean, are they really going to believe you? They know what you've been through. They know what you've done. They know how you are. They've seen this. They've seen that. And you know what? The lamb who was slain on the throne took it all. He took it all. He took my brokenness. He took yours. And he makes us whole and holy and blameless before God. And what he says is, is that he is the winner. And we belong to him. And that's the hope. So when we come to the trumpets, look, the the trumpets, yeah, they're about God judging sin. 
But way more than that, they're about us being called to live it out, to bring other people to him, because the only thing that ultimately matters is what we do with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for the hope that you've given to us, for the future that you have for us. Father, for the past that we've had with you. And Father, for the hope that wells up out of that, knowing that you will be for us today what you were for us yesterday, and you will be for us tomorrow what you are for us today. That you're the God who never changes. You're the God who was, is, and is to come. Father, you're the God who is in control of all things. You're the God who gives us life and hope and meaning, and you have a plan and a purpose for our lives, and you promise to never leave us or forsake us. And Father, we pray. We pray, Lord, that we would remember that and that we would always keep that at the forefront of our mind and remember that we are not defeated. We are victors through Jesus Christ and that you have a plan and a purpose for us as your church, as your people, and that you want to do things in us and through us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?